Knowledge Podcast. I'm Allison Little, a best-selling author, keynote speaker, and award-winning entrepreneur who has built businesses and brands for the past decade. I'm passionate about helping high achievers launch to the next level. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Launch Podcast with Allison Little. Today's episode is called Launch a Startup and a Life You Love with Elisa Camhort Page. I am super excited about this podcast. Best known as the founding COO of Blog Her Inc., Alisa was there at the birth of the social web revolution, building a grassroots phenomenon into the national women's media brand with a hundred million web users and thousands of conference goers. After selling Blogger and leaving the acquiring company, Alisa turned her attention to social and civic engagement in the wake of the 2016 election and became an author of Roadmap for Revolutionaries, Resistance, Act and advocacy for all, and the host of a new podcast, the Op-Ed Page. So I am super excited to have her today. Hello, Elisa, and thank you so much for joining me today. Hi, Allison. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited too. Oh, this is awesome. So tell us a little bit more about your journey and kind of the awesome things that you've done. I have just been digging into um, into your book and I've been learning more about you and like your experience and the things that you've been able to do in your career is just absolutely phenomenal. So tell us a little bit about your journey and kind of where you came from and where you are today. Oh, sure. Um, I like to say I have a bit of a checkered past because uh, I've done a lot of different things that people might be surprised by. Uh, I was born and raised in the San Francisco Bay Area to parents who were both immigrants. Uh, I saw I'm a first generation American. And I always kind of joke that I was the black sheep of the my older brother, my younger sister, me, because they were the straight A students, valedictorians, math and science geeks. And I was really not motivated that much by school. Uh, you know, I did well earlier on, but once I got older, uh, school wasn't my thing. And I often would tell, I tell my friends who are parents now who have kids like this, that I'm like, it's okay. Sometimes like high school or even college isn't a kid's thing, but they can still go on and succeed in life. And so I, um, you know, I did an okay enough in school that I went to my local San Jose State University, which is actually a great school. Uh, I lived at home through college and I got a theater degree. And I had, since I was about 13, decided that I was going to go to college because it was expected of me. I was going to get in and out as fast as I could. I was going to save as much money as I could. And as soon as I graduated, I was going to move to New York and I was going to be on Broadway. That was my uh, dream. And that's what I was confident was all I was interested in doing. So like my backup, my minor was in music. <laughs> so um, I was uh, pretty focused and, and, and I did that. I, I graduated. I went to a summer stock theater and got my equity card, which is the stage actors union. And then I moved to New York and I had family there. I, my mother grew up there. And so I knew lots of uh, people and, and, and was very familiar with the city. Uh, but it's also different living somewhere than visiting somewhere. And after about four years, I was like, you know what? I was totally wrong. <laughs> I don't want to live here. Uh, I love visiting, but I don't really want to live here. And I don't really want to, I don't think I really have the right combination of factors to pursue this. And I miss California and 
I'm going to go back and I'm going to do theater still in California because there's pretty active theater community. Uh, but I'm going to find some other way to make money and be successful and achieve things. And I was only 25 when I decided to do that, 26 when I did move back. And I always like to say that it's, it's actually pretty liberating to decide pretty young that the thing you thought was the only thing you were going to do just wasn't it at all. Because at that point, it's a clean slate. You could literally do anything. And so I came back and worked for seven years in the commodities industry, and which is something I had never <laughs> expressed any interest in finance or even math and economics. And But what it taught me is that I could learn things, that I didn't have to know things that I could learn things and I could pick up things and I could become knowledgeable, become an expert on things if I applied myself to it. And similarly, after seven years in the commodities industry, when I realized that that industry was based in Chicago and New York and that if I really was ambitious and didn't want to move to those places, I needed to find something else to do. And so I said, huh. This, this tech thing seems like it's pretty big in this area, Silicon Valley. Like maybe I should see if I like that and if I'm any good at that. And at that point, I went and became an admin in a marketing department at a hardware company. And this was in the 90s, late 90s. And again, the idea being that um, I wanted to get my foot in. I wanted to see if I, not just if I was good at it and had aptitude, but whether I liked it. I always tell people, it's way more likely you won't like something than that you won't be able to do it. And um, luckily, I really did like it, and I did have aptitude, and I had that um, serendipity of, of deciding to give it a shot during the dot-com boom. So things were really booming in Silicon Valley, and um, I, I decided to ride that wave, and that's how I got into tech in the first place. And, and I ended up staying in the tech and then, you know, the internet and media ever since. Uh, and again, it was kind of based on this idea that let me figure it out. Let me see if I like it. Let me see if it likes me and, and being willing to give that a try. Mm, that just, there are so many lessons in what you just said. I just, you know, I think um, the fact that you were able to kind of see what you liked and what brought you joy. And in that place, you were able to kind of grow your career and grow what you wanted your life to look like. And I think you kept coming back to, oh, I, you know, I, what I really wanted life to look like is I knew I wanted to be in California. I didn't want to do this. And I think that point to many people, you know, why not create something that you love versus waiting for other people to create it for you? And I think, I think that was just such a great lesson. I wanted to make sure that I highlighted it for our listeners. Um, okay. So uh, what's your main passion or purpose in life? Well, my main passion or purpose, I think, is to help people basically create life work activism integration. I used to hate the term work-life balance because I thought, hey, they only ask women about this unless it was me interviewing a guy and then I would always ask him about it. But, you know, they only ask women about this and it's just a way of highlighting how women have still more burdens on some parts of life than, than men. And I, I don't want to talk about work-life balance. But now uh, I'm a little older and wiser, and I think what we all need to integrate our life needs with work with, I truly believe, activism and advocacy for the things we care about most. And that whether you are a cog in a machine at a company or the CEO 
or, or a solo consultant, that there is room for you to act on your values and express your ethical beliefs. Uh, and the world needs us to do that right now. Mm. So true. That is absolutely true. We're going to talk a little bit more about your role at BlogHer as the COO. Tell us about launching that startup. I mean, that must have been really exciting. Um, how did that happen? What did it look like? And how did it feel to know that you were part of something that big from the ground up? Yeah, well, I mean, the main thing is that it's not exactly what we we didn't set out on day one to say, we're going to build this huge thing. What we set out on day one was to create something to serve uh, and that we were passionate about. So I had been in tech through the dot-com boom. And for those of you who are old enough to remember, that means I was also there for the dot-com bust. And sort of as things were spiraling down and things were getting pretty scary here in Silicon Valley, at the very bottom of that bust, I actually walked away from my pretty good job in tech because I had hit the glass ceiling really hard. I felt incredibly burnt out, and I felt tired of working so hard for someone else's glory. When it became clear to me, I was never going to get a fair share of what came out of that. And so, uh, and I just thought I was leaving a company. I didn't really think I was leaving an industry, and I didn't really think I was leaving to start another company of my own. I, I thought I would just find another job. But I realized um, for a while after a while, that I wasn't doing anything to make that happen. And I wasn't looking for a job in my industry that I had been in. And that was unlike me to not go out and just get something if I wanted it. So I said, oh, maybe I don't want to stay in this industry. And maybe I don't want to just get another job. And at the same time, I had started blogging for fun, really. I, I just had a personal blog. And I was writing a lot of, you know, I was enjoying writing restaurant reviews and book reviews, movie reviews and political observations and all sorts of random stuff. And there was this moment where I realized that blogging was this new channel for communicating directly with your customers on a really frequent human basis. And I thought this is going to be a really powerful communications channel for companies. And so I, I decided to start a little consulting firm to do that. And so while I was getting deeper and deeper into that space, I met my two blogger co-founders, Lisa Stone and Jory Desjardins. Really, you know, serendipitously, I met Jory sitting next to her at a conference. I met Lisa through a mutual friend who kind of set us up uh, to have coffee together to talk about. I think he was tired to talking to each of us individually about blogging and politics, and he thought we should talk to each other about it and, and leave him alone. Um, so <laughs> and really, it was in that very first meeting with Lisa that she had told me she had had this idea about having a tech slash blogging conference where all the experts and speakers were women. Because right now, if you looked at what was happening in that space, it was just all really heavily featuring men. And, um, and I said, I like that idea. I would go to that event. And the next thing I said is, why don't we just do that? And she said, okay. And I said, okay. And we just started to work on it. And it wasn't a company at first. It was just a project. And a few weeks in, we were like, wow, this is a lot of work. And I'm like, well, I met this cool woman, Jory. Let me ask her if she wants to help. And just the three of us, we just worked on this as a labor of love. We used our credit cards to reserve a space. We didn't um, necessarily know where that was going to go. But in the process of getting there and then being there and seeing the people who showed up and how much energy there was and how much those women that showed up wanted to do things and achieve things. And we were like, I think we can help them. And that's when we decided to start a company 
whose mission really was to create opportunities for all the women we saw who were using blogging as a way to get into professional writing, as a way to get into professional coding, as a way to get into, you know, making a little extra money for their families. It was such an empowering kind of individual, you know, anybody can do this and anybody can dive right in. And whether you have a unique topic or a unique voice, you can do something with that without as many gatekeepers as in the traditional worlds of of media or traditional worlds of tech. And so that's when we decided to start a company and we really did it in partnership with this community that helped us get really far when nobody else was really listening to them. And I think that was, we were just early in recognizing the value there. Mm, That's amazing. So this is just an idea. That's another thing I want our launch listeners to understand is, you know, if you have an idea and it's a good one that's out there to serve and empower or help people in some way and solve some sort of problem, it could possibly work. I mean, you're okay. You're in the startup, you're growing it. Is it just events at first or are you creating virtual trainings? Like what does it look like to start kind of thinking about about, okay, it's going from just one event to now I want to build a community. We started with the one event and right, we just, it was just something we were trying and we were, we didn't necessarily anticipate where it would go. And I mean, I recommend that to people today. If you're thinking about partnering with someone, getting a co-founder for something, just do a project with them and see how you like working with them. And we really liked working together. So the next thing we did, we launched a web a hub, basically, blogher.com. And we got a bunch of community members to be contributing editors. And its mission was to bring exposure to the work of all the women out there who are writing about every topic under the sun. And, you know, we launched that second and we announced our next event. And then the third thing we launched was a publishing network. We knew that some women really wanted to make money doing this and that making money for the writing itself was one avenue, but another avenue was online advertising. And so we acted as publisher and we consolidated, you know, we aggregated their traffic together and then we'll go to brands and agencies and say, we can reach a million women. And you know, through these bloggers by serving ads on their websites. And then that led to um, sponsored programs and content. And we also did more events and did research uh, and all sorts of things from there. We ended up developing a technology, a proprietary platform for managing the content uh, and managing the campaigns. But it all, it all basically started with those first three things, do events, have a website, be a publisher, you know, create a network. Uh, And that allowed us to scale. And we were really one of the early folks who were saying that on the the internet of tomorrow is not going to be about big, huge destination sites. It's going to be about people who are going all over the web to find individuals that they relate to that are just like them and distributing, they're distributing their attention across so many different websites. Of course, now we have these big, social media platforms that are kind of consolidating those people down again. And so you find all the personalities you're interested in all on Facebook or all on Insta. But I will say, I always tell people, don't let one of these platforms that you don't own or control be the only place that you can be found and the only place you're posting your best stuff because you want to have your own corner of the internet too. 
Mm, I'm writing notes. This is a, a awesome. I'm sure our launch listeners are getting so much too. Okay, so you launch, um, you launch it, and and then you decided to sell out your portion, or how did what what exactly you just decided you were done, or what what happened there? Well, so what happened is that you know when you're in the world of tech, and we were internet media basically, we we eventually raised four rounds of venture funding, and one of the things that drove raising funding was that we were constantly have to having to develop new solutions. When we started, there was no there was no Twitter or Facebook for regular people or Insta. There was no social media really. When we started, there was no smartphone. We started in 2005. There was no real smartphone and mobile solution. There was no you know YouTube was founded after we were. So we kept reinvesting so that we could help our folks uh, create content and be compensated for content across all sorts of different platforms. And, um, you know, eventually we were like, okay, video was like staring us in the face. And we, at that point, were looking to how could we do we need to raise more money to really invest in video production capabilities and really create um, professional video capabilities for our customers, for our users? And then we're like, or oh, is now the time to really partner with somebody else who has made that investment but doesn't have what we have, which is community and social web dominance and all these things. And it was at that point in 2014 that we were, and we had by now been doing it nine years. And we are like, you know what? We need a partner. Like we could keep going, but there are people who are doing this who could use what we have and we could certainly use what they have when it comes to video. Um, and, and also having kind of the worm had turned and where people were now back to saying, how big is your destination website as opposed to caring about the distributed websites. So we were like, now is a good time. Uh, it's a good time for us to land the plane for our investors, to have a partner who can fill in these gaps instead of always looking to funding to do it. And frankly, a good time for me, it was like, I think I am ready to not be the one who wakes up every day and is quite as worried about uh, all the different people who are depending us for, on us for their livelihoods, which to me is the most the most burdensome thing about, you know, being an entrepreneur and running a company is, is that you owe your employees and your investors an outcome, you know, and you owe them, they're, they're counting on you. And it, it that is what weighs heavy to me. Mm -hmm. So you made the decision to to step away from that and to launch uh, a life that you loved. So tell us about that transition and kind of where that brought you to, you know, writing books and doing the advocacy work and all of the great things that you do now. Yeah. So I stayed with the acquiring company for more than two years because I think this is something you'll find when you're, if you have a company, if you're part of a company that's part of an acquisition or merger, some people walk in and their roles are almost duplicative. Like look at this, the CEO is a perfect example. There is another CEO. There are two CEOs at this point. You've got two companies coming together. You often have two people running sales, two people running, you know, all sorts of things. And so that's where a lot of things happen. Streamlining happens when two companies come together. I was lucky because I came in and I was running our events business, which the acquiring company didn't even do, didn't do events. I was running our social 
media web community uh, stuff. They didn't really have that. And, and I was running our research and they weren't doing research. Uh, I was certainly running other things. We were still a startup really. And I was certainly running other things that I was able to give up like PR and, and I was running the editorial team and I didn't have to do, they had people for that. But there were three significant things I was doing that they really didn't have a practice in. And so, you know, I could come in and, and not step on as many toes and not be as, uh, you know, not be as overlapping and duplicative as some other folks. And I ended up staying um, pretty long. And, but the thing was, I was out in the Bay Area. Most of the creative executive team was in New York. I felt disconnected. And, um, and I had this kind of argument about my, with myself about, well, take it easy. What difference does it make if you're disconnected? Like, you know, you're, you're doing your thing and it's fine. And you can just be your own little, you know, your own little person out there. And it sort of didn't suit my nature <laughs> to just relax and not care about like being right in the thick of things. And um, so I decided that I was going to sort of gracefully transition, be a consultant for about six months, help them get to the next major event that my team was producing, and then, you know, kind of gracefully be on my way. And, and I will tell you this, um, I went to the CEO <laughs> the week before the November 2016 election and pitched him on this idea of mine to sort of stay for six more months and then move on my way. And I had the idea to write a book and it was going to be a totally different book. It was going to be a book about leadership and I had some ideas. And then when the election happened, I got invited by uh, Carolyn Girard, who's one of my co-authors, to work with her on this book about activism and advocacy. That had not been my plan, but I do so believe in saying yes until no becomes necessary. And I'm like, well, let's, let's see if we're on the same page. Well, let's talk about you know, how that would look. And then when I said, well, you know, I feel like we need a third co-author to bring more diversity of perspective and experience and geography and age and everything to our team. Is that okay? And she was like, sure. So I invited Jimmy Wilson to join us. And we all three were super on the same page and very synced up, but we were kind of interested and expert in different areas of activism and advocacy. Um, so I just followed that, yes, all the way to getting a book deal and having a book to write. Um, <laughs> and I guess someday I'll write that other book I was thinking of. And, you know, I just became very, very interested in people figuring out how to make activism and advocacy sustainable for the long term. I had so many friends who were super fired up after that election and very intense. And I was really afraid of burnout. I was really afraid that... They would get to the midterm elections and either it would go the way they wanted or wouldn't go the way they wanted. But either way, they'd be like, okay, that's it. That's all I got in me is a couple of years of paying really close attention and being really active. And I was like, how can we encourage people to think about all the different ways there are to activate, uh, all the ways to adapt how you activate to what your life will allow for in any given moment, and just make this a more integrated part of your life forever, like to never go back to not paying attention to, to politics or not paying attention to your community or not paying attention to how you could be contributing, uh, but rather to integrate it into your work and your life with, you know, mm -hmm. to integrate it with activism as well. Oh my gosh. So that's, that's amazing. So it just kind of, it worked out that you had all of these, uh, these opportunities kind of come to you and you said yes. And so I, I think that's, that's fantastic. And, you know, if for our launch listeners, 
that's a great uh, lesson for life. You know, there's going to be opportunities and you're going to think it needs to go one way and you're going to have maybe somebody come up to you and say, hey, like, what about this? And it's okay to explore those opportunities and making sure that it works for you. But, you know, it's okay to say yes to, you know, to launch to the next level and to do that thing that's going to excite and inspire you and make a difference along the way because I've been reading your book and it is so good. I used to do advocacy at a state level for early childhood systems building with with parents and I wish I would have had a book like this like as I was going through it I was like oh my gosh this is just it's um it's so powerful and it's so educational and it's it helps people understand the power that our voices have to make change happen and um you know many of the parents that were advocating to you know state legislature and um all of these different people they'd never done that before Mm -hmm. and so and and they were advocating you know maybe for a, a child that had Um, you know, learning disabilities or had different things that they were facing. And, you know, to be able to use your voice and to empower somebody to use their voice is just, it's, it's amazing. And um, it gives them confidence and courage to go out there and make change happen. So I thank you for writing the book and I thank you for following your heart and doing what you do on a daily basis to really add value to the lives of others and to make a positive difference. It's absolutely phenomenal. And it, it's, it's so good. So, okay, we've got to wrap up. Um, There's one question I ask everybody on launch and I have to ask you, uh, what are the two to three things that you've done in your life to launch to the next level? Well, the first is definitely what we were just talking about, which is go in with the idea of yes. That does not mean no doesn't present itself eventually. Like right now, I'm sort of transitioning into something I've been working on because I said yes until I realized, you know, this I'm not going to do exactly this that I thought I was. So it doesn't mean you're a patsy or a pushover, but but you know, there's a world out there waiting to say no to you about all sorts of things. Don't say no to yourself until you really have to. So that's, I think, the first thing is just try things. Do projects. Try things. Say yes. See what happens. Um, the other thing is to say you trust yourself to be able to learn things. You know, you, like I said before, you are much more likely to not like something than to figure out you can't do it if you really apply yourself to it. So give yourself a little credit and and figure out that you can learn new tricks. I didn't found um, blog her till I was in my 40s. Um, So you can learn new tricks. So I, I really think that's the next thing. And the third thing is really to me about people which is I always, a lot of things I get opportunities because I connect with people and if someone asks me for something, if it, I, there's so many things that cost you nothing to stay in touch with people, to connect people, to introduce people, to, to sort of give people, uh, to, to say yes again to even when they're asking something of you. But those are the same people that eventually come back around and have something that you can ask of them. And so it's not about transaction. It's about creating this fertile soil where you have thrown scattered seeds out into the world. And sometimes someone that you've helped isn't the one who helps you, but they've said something awesome about you to someone else who says, oh, well, I need to talk to her. <clears throat> so it somehow, it's like I'm not really a super woo-woo spiritual person, but I do believe in this concept of sort of if you throw out those seeds, maybe call it karma, I don't know. But I do think things will flower and not always where you expect them. I have a fig tree growing in my yard right now that it must be a volunteer from a fig tree we had removed two years ago. 
that I didn't notice growing. And I think of it like that, like you get these volunteer plants all over because you've let nature do its course. (laughs) Right? That's exactly, I believe that same thing. You put good things out there and you treat people kindly and you try to look for the good in, in the world. And it's just, it's weird how it works. I was just telling my husband this actually right before we talked, but it's weird how it works, but eventually somehow it comes back and you're like, oh, wow, I didn't even expect that. And yeah. I, you know, yeah, and, and that's the thing I think about how you said it, which I really appreciated, is connecting with people, not, not asking of people like specific things where you're trying to take away from them, but you're trying to add value to their lives. And, mm-hmm. and, and in turn, they add value to your life and it's, it's great. And um, so I thank you for sharing. Um, is there anything else you'd like to share? Um, well, we're wrapping up this session. Yeah. Um, well, and I just want to add that I'm an undercover introvert. And so when I take that pers- that kind of philosophy about connecting with people, it's much easier for me to, to network, quote unquote, network that way, uh, because it's all about that sort of gardening approach. Uh, so I just want to add that in for any of you who are undercover introverts like I am. But um, the The other thing is that, you know, I'm just, you can reach out to me. I'm super active on Twitter, Adelisa C, and Instagram, Adelisa CP. Most of my posts on Facebook are public. Um, I have my op-ed page podcast. So I am always around, and I am very active, and I respond to everybody. I love to talk to people uh, and connect with people in that way. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate you being on this, Elisa, and you did such an awesome job founding BlogHer and then taking the next step and writing books and adding value to the lives of others. And so I thank you for sharing today, and I know our launch listeners enjoyed it as well. So launch listeners, make sure that you rate and review our launch podcast, and not only that, but share it with others. It's just like what Elisa was just saying, where we need to sprinkle joy and happiness and all the good stuff out into the world. World right now, it is your chance to really add value to the lives of others. So I thank you so much and have the best day. Thank you for listening to the Launch Podcast. I'm Allison Little, and I'm so excited that you spent your time with me. Look for future episodes and connect with me on social media or at my website at www.allisonlittle.com. 